Okay, we're continuing our study of 1 Corinthians, and this is the second of four messages as we head towards Easter in a couple weeks. Yeah, Easter's only two Sundays away. So this next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and then we have Easter. So looking forward to celebrating uh, Resurrection Sunday in a special way. We celebrate the risen Savior every day, uh, but Easter Sunday is a special celebration for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 34, you will rise. If there is no bodily resurrection, this life is meaningless. If there is no bodily resurrection, this life and the life to come is meaningless. So today what we have to do is we have to think like Paul. And Paul is asking us to, to think of, okay, what would our existent, existence be like if there really was no resurrection from the dead, right? If there's no bodily resurrection, what would our existence be like? And so you, so you remember at the church at Corinth, they had this understanding of the human existence as being dual, right? There's a spirit part and a physical part, right? And, and the spirit was good and the spirit was what you wanted to continue with and the body is what you want to get rid of because uh, the flesh is evil, Right? And so in the mind of the people in Corinth, why would I want my body to be resurrected? Does it make sense? And we'll see this next week, though. The Old Testament anticipates the bodily resurrection of God's people. And we'll see that next week. And so Paul is having to combat this mindset uh, that it says there is no bodily resurrection. Why? Because the core of the gospel is what? That Christ rose from the dead, according to the scriptures, right? And it's like if if, if there's no bodily resurrection, then Christ didn't rise from the dead. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then you're still dead in your sins. You have no salvation. And so Paul is using a kind of a rhetorical, he's using this argument process where he's like, okay, so let, let's, say, let's say there's no bodily resurrection. Let's say that Christ didn't rise from the dead. What would be the consequences of that? And that's what we're going to see today in this uh, lengthy passage, 12 to 34. Let's begin, and I'm going to do a running commentary as we head into the points this morning. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And if, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, well, they're lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. Praise God for the next verse. But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And again, that concept of falling asleep is, is it's dead. There is no soul sleep. Once your brain waves stop, your heart stops, okay, next to the judgment. It's appointed once for a person to die, then comes the judgment. And there is no, no soul sleep. And he makes this point of the first fruits. And I spoke about this last week, that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits. That's a guarantee of what's, what's to come. 
He's not, you know, some people want to say he's talking about the, old, the, uh, the, the, the Jewish festivals, the festival of the first fruits. He's, he's, not, he's not linking in that right now. He's just saying that that first fruit that comes up on the vine is a guarantee of the crop that's to come. And I mentioned that last week, right? If Christ is the first fruits, well, that holds a lot of potential for us, right? If, if the rest of the crop is going to be like what came at the beginning. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam we all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, right? So we have this, this concept of representative headship. There's this, Adam's our representative. Because Adam sinned, we sin. Because Adam died, we'll die. Because Christ was sinless and rose from the dead, we will rise from the dead and we will have a sinless existence. Okay, so that's why he's, he's bringing Adam into it. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all be made alive, but each in turn. Christ the firstfruits, and then when he comes, the parousia, okay, the second coming of Christ, those who belong to him as well. Then the end will come. Now, he's, he's not here trying to give us like this eschatological, you know, like the end times. This is the order that you need to get all into, like, What's happening here and there? He's giving us a general idea of this is the order because he's getting to a point that resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ sets into action events that will come to pass, culminating in the submission of everything to God. That's the point that he's trying to make here. Then the end will come when the hands over the kingdom, hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. So there's this allusion to Psalm 110 and Psalm 8 here. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, right? When you read Revelation, you, you, you see what's going on here, right? Christ comes down in Revelation 19. He destroys the enemies of God, right? And then he sets up his kingdom, and there's a thousand-year reign of Christ, right? There's a, there's a kingdom keys that are mentioned here. I take it literally, right? And there's a thousand-year reign of Christ. Satan is released from the abyss. He tries to go at Jerusalem again, and Christ completely destroys Satan. Then Satan is cast into the lake of fire, and along with Satan are death and Hades, right? The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This concept of death being cast into the lake of fire. Verse 27, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who has put everything under Christ, right? So the idea that that the resurrection of Christ sets into action this order of events, Christ hands everything over to God the Father, and everything is completely under submission, under the submission of God, including the created order. Verse 28, when he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Verse 29, this gets really interesting here. Now, if there is no resurrection, and, and, he, and he turns to a, a form of argumentation called an ad hominem argument, right? And, and he, he addresses two things. And the first thing he addresses is this bad idea of baptism from the dead. He says, what will those do who are baptized for 
the dead. If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? So one thing we can rule out is that in Corinth, that there was any notion uh, that baptism actually saved you, right? If the church at Corinth actually thought that going under the water in baptism saved somebody, Paul, of all people, would have laid into them big time by this point, okay? He would have just let them have it, because that is a gospel of works. Read book of Galatians, you'll see how he feels about those things. So that's not what they were saying at Corinth. I mean, Paul's bringing it up, and, and what it appears has happened here in Corinth is that people were coming to faith in Christ, and they came to faith, but they weren't able to actually be baptized before they died. I mean, for instance, like let's say I was in the nursing home, and I witnessed to somebody, and I share the gospel with them, and they come to faith in Christ, and they're kind of somewhat, they can't get around, right? They can think clearly, they just can't move, right? I mean, are we actually going to take them like, you know, I mean, some people might do that, but I think we'd say, you know, under the circumstances, you can't be baptized, right? And so the church at Corinth, what they were doing is like, it's called the vicarious. Like, so in the place of somebody else, right? So, so let's say my wife really had an affinity for that person in, the nurse, person in the nursing home that came to faith in Christ. And she says, they want to be baptized. So I'm going to be baptized for them because they're saying that they're, they've decided to follow Jesus, but they just can't be baptized, all right? And so that's kind of what's going on here, all right? And so, so Paul's saying, you know, so if you don't believe in the resurrection from the dead, right? And, and again, it may, you may think, well, they must be saying baptism is really important because they're somehow attaching it for, to the resurrection from the dead. They're just trying to do things properly. And, and, and Paul's like, why are you going to all these links concerning baptism of the dead, all right, if you really don't believe in a bodily resurrection, now, the Mormon church actually practices baptism of the dead. They, people are baptized for the sake of loved ones uh, who have passed on. And so Paul says, you know, you just, you're just don't have things in, in good order in your mind when you're thinking about the resurrection from the dead. And so verse 30, he says, And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? If there's no resurrection from the dead, I mentioned this last week, why would Paul risk his life day in and day out for a lie? He says, I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? So the logical conclusion is, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He's quoting a a secular poet called Meander there. Verse 33, he says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. The bad company there are the people who say there is no bodily resurrection. That's the bad company that he's talking about. He says, Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. I say this often from the pulpit. Orthodoxy, right doctrine, leads to orthopraxy, right living, okay? If your doctrine is bad, mark my words, when people have faulty doctrine, their living tends to be wrong, okay? They tend to live contrary to the Word of God. And so Paul is saying, dissociate yourself, separate yourself from those people who are denying a bodily resurrection, because in fact, those people are the ones that I was talking about in 1 Corinthians, when I wrote to you in the letter earlier, 
those people who weren't loving, those people who were going ahead with the Lord's Supper, disregarding those who didn't have as much, those same people are the ones who are denying a bodily resurrection. He says, I say this to your shame. So again, the mindset here, did Jesus rise from the dead bodily, right? So you have to put yourself in Paul's mindset here and think for a minute, what, are, what would the outcome be if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead bodily? Now, when you look at our culture and you think about what they think about the bodily resurrection, it's probably no surprise to you that most of our culture does not believe in a bodily resurrection. I've got two surveys here. One is just the BBC, all right? You know, that's the British Broadcasting Corporation. So over in England, okay, they did a survey concerning some religious uh, topics, religious questions. And the question here is, do you believe in a resurrection of Jesus Christ? Now, what I want you to pay attention to, though, there is the green, right? Because the green are active Christians. Those are the people that would be going to, supposedly coming together to worship on a regular basis, okay? And the green, the active Christians, how many believe the Bible version of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the bodily resurrection, less than 60%. Less than 60%. Well, that's a lot. That's more than 50%. I'm thinking, if that's all of the Christians who actually believe that that Christ rose from the dead, there's a bodily resurrection, what do they believe about everything else? Because once you start denying certain, the historical accuracy of certain parts of the Bible, everything's up for grabs. Well, in the United States, and we've talked about this, the state of theology, Ligonier Ministries, R.C. Sproul's ministry, they do a study every, day, every year. It's called the state of theology. Uh, I think they survey 3,000 people, okay, and they ask them theological questions. And the question here, the Bible, the biblical accounts of Jesus' resurrection from the dead are completely accurate. This event actually occurred, okay? I don't know if you can tell by the colors there, but where that line is, it goes to light green, okay? And that light green is where the somewhat agree begins. And then it goes to the orange there, strongly disagree. So if you somewhat agree with the Bible's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ bodily, what, is, I mean, somewhat, what does that mean? You know, like, yeah, it was some sort of resurrection, you know, was it was it just a spirit, or, you know, was it, you know, what did they really, you know, was he really dead when he, you know, what, what do you think if you somewhat disagree? So my point is, is that for those, you know, who, who, you know, who read the Bible, or actually for this group, um, this is the non-evangelical group, okay? This would just be like the general population, okay? But, but e- even then, You've got 53% of the people are saying the Bible is just not accurate when it comes to what it says about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you were to take that and and, and the the survey count, if it was evangelicals, this is just general population. But if you narrow it down to those people who say, I'm an evangelical Christian, it goes up to 73% strongly agree. And I'm like, so 20, 20... 27% 27% of people who are evangelicals who claim to be Bible-believing Christians say they don't really think the Bible's, you know, account of Christ's resurrection for the dead is true. So, you know, our context isn't much different than Paul's context is kind of where I'm going with this. And so Paul's mindset that he's taking us into is, is what if Jesus 
didn't really rise from the dead? What if there is no bodily resurrection? And so I've got five points here taken from the text. I'm not going verse by verse. I'm just going to jump into the text and make points. What if Jesus really didn't rise from the dead? Well, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we have no hope of rising from the dead. So you might as well just live it up. I mean, just do what you wanted to determine your own destiny. You're the captain of your, your faith. Just do what you want to do. Why, why struggle to live out what the Bible says if we're not going to be raised from the dead? Right, Paul says this, he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, if there's no bodily resurrection, then not even Christ is raised from the dead. Right? Darwin had it right. We just started out as this primordial soup, and we evolved into human beings. It's all chance. There is no purpose in life. So, so why does it matter? Right? Humanism is right. Man is the center of everything. He is the highest, you know, in the evolution scale, he's risen to the highest point. And so what man says is good, what man says is right, what man says is what we should do, do it. Do it to the fullest. It's what I'm, I'm, you know, I'm talking to my kids about, you know, when I look at the political landscape, you know, I appreciate it when people are consistent with their worldview. I don't like it when the Christians go, people who claim to be Christians go back and forth in their politics. When someone stays consistent with their worldview, I appreciate, I may disagree, but I appreciate the integrity of somebody who's consistent with their worldview. And humanism says, you're born, you die, you're a part of this grand evolution scheme that's going on. When you die, that's it. It's the end. You just turned into dust. And so Paul says, if this is the case, right, if, if, if all it is is you're pushing up daisies after you breathe your last breath, then let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? Just live it up. Live the American dream. Just get as many toys as you can. It's, it's all about, it's, it's controlled hedonism. Just do it. And quite frankly, if Christ didn't rise from it, I agree with that. <laughs> right? If you're going to be consistent. And so the first point is, you know, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, what's the point? Just do it. Just, just eat, drink, and be merry. We have no hope from rising dead. When you, when you die, you die. The second point, if Jesus did not rise from the dead bodily, then our preaching and teaching are false and pointless. So find something else to talk about. I mean, go listen to some Zig Ziglar tapes and do some, you know, power of positive thinking stuff so that you can actually do something productive right now in this life that we live in. Stop talking about some confused, well-intentioned rabbi who was crucified? So in verse 14 and 15, Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. We'll talk about that in a minute. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, in fact, if the dead are not raised. He's saying, we're, we're, we're preaching a lie. Right? He talked about the gospel. Christ died on the cross for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. Core to the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Quite frankly, it, it, was, it was the banner point that Christ was making in his earthly ministry. 
Right? If you look, and I, I say this often because it's so important when you read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You, you can see where Jesus the first time says, you know what? I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of law. I'm going to be killed. On the third day, I'm going to be raised to life. He says it three times. That's, that's the message, right? Yes, Jesus is about love. Don't get me wrong. Love is important. We need to love. It's the greatest commandment. But he came to seek and save the lost. How does he save the lost? By giving up his life, bearing the sin of mankind and rising from the dead. That was, that was his message. And so if the dead are not raised, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then Jesus was a pathological liar. Jesus lied. Nothing he said can be trusted. There's no resurrection from the dead. And in fact, Paul would have to say, you know, his disciples were liars. Nothing they said can be trusted. Then there's no resurrection from the dead. Last week we talked about all those who followed Jesus Christ, and they were willing to do it to the point of dying a brutal death. They were willing to die for Christ. Did they, did they die for a lie? No. They did not die for a lie. As Paul says at the end of this passage we're looking at, he says, just logically, I want you to think through this about it. I want you to think about my life, what I've been through. And again, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about this. Who would endure what Paul has endured for the sake of a lie? I know I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Paul says we endanger ourselves every hour. Why, why do I face death every day? Was it because Christ did not rise from the dead, as you are asserting? So we have no hope from rising from the dead if Christ didn't rise from the dead. Our preaching and teaching are false and pointless if Christ did not rise from the dead. And in fact, Paul says... Our faith is worthless. It has no power. It means nothing, right? So Paul uses two words here, useless and futile. The concept of useless is empty. It's vain. It's without effect. It's hollow. It's foolish. The concept of futility is that it's empty. It's powerless. It's fruitless. It lacks truth. The assertion is that the message being preached is useless because it's, it's not based in reality, right? Truth is that which corresponds to reality. You know, people um, claim to have faith in things that aren't true, right? It happens all the time. We, we see this in, in, in all the other religions besides Christianity, right? Because man understands my biggest issue is I'm separated from God, I have sin, I need, to do, I need to do something about my sin, right? And so I would say it's useless and futile if your faith is walking into the Ganges River in Northeast Asia or Northeast India to cleanse your sins. I'd say that's, that's useless and futile. I'd say because it's not founded in truth. It's not founded in truth that, that you should... There's five pillars that you need to, to live out or fulfill. One of them is happening right now. And if you do that, you know, if you do the Hajj, then your sins are taken away. That's useless and futile because it's not based in truth. It doesn't correspond with reality. 
Faith cannot operate in a vacuum. Faith has to have fact. We have a faith based on historical events that are true. They correspond with reality. It was reality that Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross and that he rose from the dead. Faith cannot operate in a vacuum. It needs factual, propositional data upon which to converge. Faith converges on facts, historical facts. Without historical facts or historical data, there is no faith. Without truth, that which corresponds to reality, there can be no faith. So no resurrection, no faith. You may may think, okay, Jay, you're kind of getting off on a tangent. This, This is so important. Without facts, there is no basis for faith, right? And so the church of Corinth is saying, no bodily resurrection. That's their fact. That's their truth. If that's true, then Christ didn't rise from the dead. That's their truth. So if Christ, if none of that's true, then our faith is useless. It's futile. There's nothing there. And so I, I, I have to ask myself, when I look at this again, it, 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 people, you know, if you look and take it to the evangelicals, those 23% of evangelicals who say they're not really sure if the Bible's accurate concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, what is your faith based in? Well, the, the bottom line is it's based in what they, whatever they think is true. So they've become the de facto God and the arbiter of truth. So Paul says, look, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then everything that we thought was true is not true. Therefore, our faith is useless and futile. And then he goes on to say, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead bodily, then, friends, we're still in sin. And we're hopeless. I want, you, I, mean, think, I want you to think about your life for just a minute. And the damage that sin causes to you. Mentally. Emotionally. Psychologically. The damage that sin causes. I mean, I mean, look at the world around us. I mean, sin, the world, if you look at the number of people that are taking Prozac and taking Xanax because... because they're depressed and because they have anxiety. Right? It's because they're dealing with sin on different levels and they don't know how to deal with it. The biblical narrative of the historical life of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead deals with sin. And so I, I have a hard time fathoming an existence, and maybe it's because I've been a Christian for so long, fathoming an existence where I can't confess my sins to God knowing that Christ died on the cross for my sins and my sins were taken away when he died and he rose from the dead to show that he's conquered sin. I can't even think that way anymore. Praise, I guess I praise God for that. But Paul says if Christ didn't rise from the dead bodily, you are still in your sins. Well, why does he say that? Well, I say this around Easter time, and I don't know if some of you catch this. Without Friday, Sunday is robbed of its meaning. Without Sunday, Friday is robbed of its power. Think about that. Let me, let me, let me tease it out a little bit. Without the cross, the resurrection is robbed of its meaning. Right, right. Christ rose from the dead. That's, 
an incredible miracle that a man would be dead in the tomb for three days and he rises from the dead. That's really cool. But what does it mean for me? Well, if you take Friday into that, then it means that the man hanging on the cross truly was the sinless son of God and that your sins really were placed on him and that his death on the cross was sufficient to pay the penalty for your sins and that when he died, death died and that when he rose from the dead, he conquered sin and death. You see, the two go together. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross means Nothing has no power if Christ didn't rise from the dead, friends. If there's no resurrection, there's no salvation, right? The very words, the very thought that must go through your mind the moment you are saved is that I believe that Christ rose from the dead. You've got to confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and you will be saved. There's no resurrection. There's no salvation. There's no resurrection. There's no new birth. There's no hope. There's no heaven, right? Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us what? New birth into a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance, a heavenly hope that can never perish, spoil, or fade. No resurrection, no new birth, no hope, no heaven. Friends, if there's no resurrection, you are still dead in your trespasses and sins, and the wrath of God is pouring down on you, and there is nothing you can do about it. Right? As Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Right? The, the point I'm here, the point we're at is that Paul says, if there's no resurrection, you're still in your sins. The wages of sin is death. If you haven't by faith Come to Jesus Christ so that he can deal with your sin problem. You're still dead in your transgressions and sins. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, what? Made us alive with Christ. We can be made alive with Christ because Christ has already risen from the dead. That's the only reason we have hope. Even when you were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you've been saved. No resurrection. You are dead and you are an object of God's wrath. I looked at this passage last week, right? For he was delivered over to death for our sins. The concept of substitution. And he was raised to life for our justification, right? That you can be declared righteous. God doesn't just take our sins away through the death of Jesus. Through his resurrection, he gives us the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ so that we're always welcome and accepted by God. We're a part of this family. God will always, always, always look on us with favor because we're his child. Without the resurrection, there is no justification, there is no forgiveness, there is no reconciliation, there is no propitiation, there's no adoption, there's no freedom in their life. I mean, think about the weight and the burden of sin. Unless there's a resurrection, that weight and burden, it stays, right? You are enslaved to sin. There is guilt, there is shame, there is fear, there is hopelessness, and there is death. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead bodily. And worse than that, those who have died in Christ 
are lost forever. There's no hope. I cringe when somebody says, Pastor, I need you to pray for my so-and-so. They died the other day. I'm like, I can't do anything about that. I can't. My heart hurts for you. I ask them, were they trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation? Well, they were baptized. That's good. But were they trusting in the fact that Christ died on the cross for their sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and he rose again on the third? Were they trusting in that? I don't know. I don't say, oh, you're, they're lost. I mean, I say, you know, I'll pray for you and I'll pray for the family. The last point, if Jesus did not rise from the dead bodily, we should be pitied. I mean, all this is a sham. They're just getting together to have donuts and coffee and tell stories. We should be pitied. Paul says in verse 19, he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be pitied. We're to be pitied because there is no forgiveness. We're to be pitied because there's no justification. We're to be pitied because there's no reconciliation. We're to be pitied because there's no adoption. We're to be pitied because we're still separated from God. There's no life. There's no freedom from sin. We're still enslaved. We still have that guilt. We still have that shame, that fear, that hopelessness. We still have death. But Paul doesn't leave it there, does he? Right? He asks us to take on this mindset. Whoa, whoa, okay, what if there is no bodily resurrection? What, what if Christ didn't rise from the dead? But right in the middle of the passage, he says, but hold on a second. That isn't the truth. That isn't reality. No, but Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. I love reading that verse. And because Christ has risen from the dead, you can be forgiven through faith. You can receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ through faith. You are reconciled to God through faith. You've been adopted into the family of God through faith. You are free from the enslaving principle of sin through faith. Through faith, you will be resurrected to eternal life with Christ Jesus through faith. Because, friends, Christ did indeed rise from the dead. And again, friends, there's two ways that we know this, okay? The most important way is because the Bible tells me so. The Word of God tells us that Christ died on the cross for our sins, that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day. The Bible is that which corresponds to reality. The Bible is Truth, the Bible are the facts upon which our faith converges, that we rely, it's totally reliable, we trust in it. That's the main primary reason we know that Christ has been risen from the dead. The other way is through the people of the resurrection, the lives that have been changed because they have placed their faith in Christ's death on their behalf and their resurrection from the dead. Friends, aren't you so glad that you're no longer a slave to sin? Aren't you so glad that you don't have to carry guilt around? You know, when I came to faith in Jesus Christ as a 19-year-old, what I was experiencing prior to trusting in Christ was an amazing weight of guilt, of sin. It just, it was heavy. 
And when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, when I got down on my knees and cried out, I felt that burden lift. And I know that sounds kind of weird, maybe, hokey pokey, but that's what I felt. Because Christ is risen from the dead, we don't have to fear death. Death, the fear of death holds people into slavery. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, we can have hope. And we need hope. If there's no thought that tomorrow can be better than today, then then why live? If there's no thought that there is meaning to the suffering that you're enduring, and that that meaning won't fully be realized until the day that you're face-to-face with Christ, if, if you don't have that hope, then why endure? Why endure? We have to fix our eyes not on what is seen or felt, but what is unseen. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, there's no death, right? Oh, yeah, we do die. Well, Jesus says, you pass from death to life. You shut your eyes. The world says, he's gone. (laughs) No, he's just someplace else. But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, Jesus Christ. Amen? Aren't you so thankful for Jesus Christ? For as Adam and Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits. And and again, I mean, if we're going to resemble Christ, if He's the first fruits, yes, right, yes, yes. And when He comes, those who belong to Him. If there is no bodily resurrection, then this life and the life to come is meaningless. But because Jesus rose bodily, we will rise bodily. Therefore, our lives have meaning in the present, and into the future. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to close with a song this morning. Uh, And I'm so thankful for the people who lead us in music. This is a very simple song. Uh, It's called the Gospel Song. And again, last week I said, what's the gospel? Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that's what this song is. It's the Gospel Song. So let's stand up as people of the risen Savior who have come in faith, believing in Christ's bodily resurrection. Let's sing this song with joy.